Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. And be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abram, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you have to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or brought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your house or brought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He, will, he has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her, and I will give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abram fell face down. He laughed and he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abram said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Then he, when he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household, or brought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day. And every male in Abram's house, including those born in his household or brought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him.
Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word to us. Uh, thank you for what you did in Abram's life. And uh, Father, we ask that as we look at these things this morning that you would help us to understand them and that you would help us to see Jesus Christ uh, in your word. Father, I pray that uh, you'd be with me uh, and that you'd help me to speak clearly and, uh, Lord, that you would speak to all our hearts. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, uh, there will be possibly a time of question and answer at the end of the sermon, so uh, it might just be um, good to remember that. Hopefully I won't forget to do that. Um, But I feel like... My hour has come today. Uh, I don't know, some of you might know, but I've been working on circumcision for the last five years. Uh, That's a great story to tell at parties. Uh, In fact, it reminds me of a party, bro. But anyway, that's another story. But um, one of the uh, lecturers at the uh, the college where I'm studying, I've been doing my PhD uh, on circumcision for the last five years. And uh, one of the lecturers at the college I'm studying with, uh, he likes to joke about a friend of his who uh, did his PhD on the, the, uh, the curtain in the temple. Uh, and so he calls his friend the curtain guy. And uh, last year when I was uh, together with all the other PhD candidates, we decided that uh, perhaps I might become known as the circumcision guy, uh, which is not perhaps the most uh, appealing nom de guerre, as they say, but... Uh, That may be the case. You might wonder why someone has spent five years of their life uh, looking at circumcision, but the question really that I've been trying to answer is this. Paul calls circumcision a sign of the gospel. He calls it a sign really of, of the righteousness that Abraham had by faith while he was uncircumcised. And what I want to know is, how is that so? How is it that anyone ever looked at circumcision and thought to themselves, ah, the gospel, of course. We're saved by believing God's promise. We're righteous by faith. Now, I don't know about you, but it's not particularly obvious to me that that's how circumcision worked. When I think of circumcision, I don't think, oh, the gospel. And in fact, what's even stranger is that by the time it got to Jesus' day and to the day of Paul, is that in the Jewish community, circumcision had become anything but a sign of the gospel. It had become a sign of Jewish privilege. It had become a sign of the fact that that obedience to the law was kind of the way that people could be made right with God. It became a source of enormous controversy. How is it that circumcision can be a sign of the gospel? As you read through Genesis 17, do you think, ah... Well, Genesis 17, which we're looking at this morning, is the place in the Bible where circumcision, that strange sign of the gospel, is first established this morning. And as we look at it this morning, I want to try and uh, address four questions. First of all, of what is circumcision a sign? Second, why is the sign circumcision and not something else? Third, how does it convey the gospel? And fourth, what about the people who weren't circumcised? Well, the place to start then is by seeing what circumcision is a sign of. 
At the beginning of the chapter, God reiterates the promise that he'd previously made with Abraham in verse verse 4. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. It's a reiteration of the promises that God has made to Abraham so far. If there's anything new, it's that very last clause, and... I will be their God. He will be the God of Abram and the God of Abram's descendants. Seen within uh, the framework of Genesis, uh, where God had created a perfect world, but where Adam and Eve had brought sin into the world through their rebellion against God, and seen in the framework where God had promised Eve that one day he would Uh, raise up from her a descendant who would crush Satan's head and who would put the world right, seen within that framework, these promises to Abraham are part of that, that great story that God is, through Abraham, putting the world right. God is promising Abram to rid it of sin, to restore and redeem human beings, to restore creation, to be the God of Abram and those with him, and so that they, they might walk with God as Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. That's God's side. Abram, for his part in this, in this covenant, has one role, and that role is in verse 9. As to you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for your generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So God comes to Abraham and repeats what he's already promised uh, to be Abram's God and the God of Abram's descendants in the land that God will give him. And all Abram has to do is to remember God's promises through the sign of circumcision. In other words, circumcision is first and foremost a sign of, or a reminder of God's covenant with Abraham. It's his covenant to put the world right. His covenant to put the world right because of sin has entered the world. We saw last week God stooping down to speak in the language of Abraham. You might remember the, the, that strange covenant-making ceremony where the, the bodies were kind of cleaved in two and the, the smoking firepot passing down the middle of them. And it was God coming down to Abram to speak in his language about making a covenant, making his word more sure, sure swearing on oath that he would do what he'd promised. But the trouble with the covenant-making ceremony, you see, as powerful as it was, as a, such a strong and powerful uh, encouragement to Abram that God would do what he'd promised, the trouble with it was, is that it was a once-off. But now God comes again with something, an ongoing reminder, an ongoing visual reminder of that covenant and of that promise. 
Now, circumcision may not be your natural choice uh, of what you want that reminder to be, but it was God's way of bolstering the faith, the sagging faith of his people. You see, I think we're prone to forget, and I think God knows that. We're prone to forget what God's promises are, and we're prone to forget that God has promised anything at all. We wander through life and we forget that God has a plan. We might become weighed down by all that seems to be falling apart around us or uh, all that's falling apart within us. Or we might become so engrossed in the here and now that we forget the future. We forget that God has a bigger plan than just what you're going to do this Saturday. He has a plan to put the world right, to crush Satan's to end sin, to redeem those who trust him, to restore creation. God has a big plan. In Abram's day, he had circumcision to remind him of God's plan and promise. And later in history, Israel had other signs and reminders in in the law and the sacrificial system. In our day, we don't have those. But we have two others. We have baptism and the Lord's Supper. Both are visible signs, visible words, reminders of God's promise to put the world right. The Lord's Supper is a reminder that just as we eat and drink and sustain our lives, so we're sustained by faith as we share in Jesus' death and life and resurrection. It's a reminder that just as we eat and drink together, one day we'll eat and drink together in the presence of God. Baptism is a reminder that just as washing our bodies with water makes us outwardly clean, so by faith in Jesus he washes us clean from every spot and stain of sin. They don't do anything special, but through them God strengthens our sagging faith. They're gifts from God to remind us that his plan is to put the world right. Circumcision was, a first of all, it was a reminder and a sign of God's promise. But why circumcision? Why not something else? Why not ear piercing? I mean, it would have been a bit more doable. Uh, or a tattoo, or a monkish hairdo, or a, tonch, a tonsure, as they like to call them, uh, I discovered once reading Bede's ecclesiastical history. But anyway, uh, why circumcision? Well, chapter 17 is in part, you have to understand, a response to chapter 16. Chapter 16, uh, it's about 10 years since Abram left his homeland, his uh, family, he's left his family behind. He still doesn't have the child that God has promised. So Sarai, his wife, decides that she has a great idea, what Abram should do is sleep with his Egyptian servant Hagar, which Abram does only too willingly, and Hagar bears Abram a son named Ishmael. Now in chapter 17, God comes to Abram and he says that he will do what he's promised, but God also says that those promises that he will keep will come to pass not through Ishmael, the son of the servant Hagar, 
But those promises will come to pass through another descendant, another yet-to-be-born son named Isaac. In verse 16, God promises that Sarah will have a son, at which point Abraham falls down laughing and says in verse 17, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael may live under your blessing." So, so Abraham's saying, well, why can't it be through Ishmael? Why can't it? And God replies that Ishmael will be blessed, but, verse 19, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his uh, numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. The covenant that God made with Abraham is not established with Ishmael, nor with anyone else in this chapter, actually. But only with Isaac, only with that promised son. You might remember back in Genesis 3.15, right after Adam and Eve committed that sin, that first act of rebellion. God promised the seed of Eve, this descendant of Eve, that through whom God will put the world right. And Genesis, after that, has, has, is filled with these genealogies, these genealogies uh, following on from Eve all the time looking for this descendant through whom God will put the world right. And here in Genesis 17, God says that that descendant will come not through Ishmael, but through Isaac. That same theme continues through the rest of Genesis. It will be through Isaac, not Esau, through Judah, not through any other sons of Jacob. And it continues through the rest of the Bible. It will be through David, not Saul, until we finally get to Jesus, the one through whom God is putting the world right, the one through whom God is fulfilling his promise to crush Satan's head the one through whom God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham. What's the point? The point is this. Circumcision is not only a sign of the covenant. Circumcision was also a sign of the seed, the one descendant of Abraham through whom God would put the world right. It was a sign of the descendant of Abraham through whom God would put the world right. That explains why the sign was circumcision and not something else. Because it was about a child, a descendant. One who had come from the line of Abraham. A male child. It also explains why circumcision is no longer relevant. Because the promised Messiah has come. The promised descendant of Abraham has finally come in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus has come to put the world right. The great mistake that some of the Jews in Jesus' day made was that they believed God's promise that he put the world right. Sorry, they believed that promise that God would put the world right. But they didn't believe that Jesus is the one through whom God was doing it. So they said, we're the children of Abraham. We believe what God is doing. But Jesus said, here I am, the one that God promised And they said, we don't know who you are. The 
It's not enough just to be convinced that God is saving the world. You need to believe that God is saving the world through Jesus. And circumcision always pointed to that fact. And just as circumcision looked forward to the coming of Jesus, to that descendant of Abraham, so baptism looks back to Jesus who has come. Now, not everybody of a uh, people who have a, a Baptist persuasion uh, may not be convinced that there's a connection between circumcision and, and baptism. Uh, there are certainly some Baptists who are willing to admit that there is a connection between the two. I, I think there is. I think the more difficult and complex question is not is there a connection, but what's the nature of the connection? That's a much more helpful question to ask, I think. And what I'm saying here is that the one key connection between that old covenant sign uh, of circumcision was that it looked forward to the coming of Jesus. And in the same way, baptism looks forward to Jesus who has come. And every time, just just as in the Old Testament, every time someone was circumcised, people looking on said to themselves, God has promised a Messiah who is coming to save us. In the same way, every time someone is baptised, we remember that God has sent his Messiah. He has come through whom God is putting the world right. Well, circumcision was a sign of God's promise to put the world right. It was a sign of God's promise to put the world right through the descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ, Third, it was a sign that people share in God's promise to Abraham by faith. Genesis 17 has to be understood in the light of what God has already done in the life of Abraham, not least what God had done uh, back in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, God made that covenant, well, he made the covenant with Abraham, but God made that covenant not on the basis of anything that Abraham had done, but on the basis of his faith. Abram believed God. Abram trusted God. Abraham took God at his word. And God counted it to him as righteousness. He wasn't righteous. He was a flawed individual. But Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And here in chapter 17, as Paul points out in Romans, Abraham received circumcision as a seal of that or as a confirmation of that righteousness which he already had by faith. What circumcision meant to Abraham was utterly unique, do you see? And every other person who was circumcised, every other act of circumcision, looked back to what it meant for Abraham. It was never about the individual being circumcised themselves. It wasn't saying something about that person. He was looking back to what God had testified to in the life of Abraham. This man was righteous because he believed me. It was a reminder that just as Abraham shared in the promises by faith, so others, so we can share too in God's promises by faith as well. We don't deserve anything from God. We don't deserve to share in his promises to put the world right. We can't earn that privilege. 
And our sin and rebellion would seem to put all those things beyond us. But what circumcision did was remind people that we can share in that. We can be counted righteous, even though we're not. (laughs) By taking God at his word, by believing his promise to Eve and to Abraham, and receiving that by faith. And if we trust in Jesus, and we take God at his word, we will be counted righteous as well. And I suspect, though I can't be sure, that just as every act of circumcision looked back to that first circumcision, that first act in Abram's life, just as every act of circumcision looked back to what was true of Abraham, his righteousness by faith, I think I'd also want to say that every baptism looks back to that first baptism, to the baptism of Jesus where God testified not about a righteousness which comes a righteousness which is by faith contrary to fact but when Jesus was baptised the father declared from, from heaven this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased and every time someone is baptised we look back to that not just a righteousness contrary to fact but an inherent and a real righteousness and a righteousness which is shared with all those who believe in Jesus Christ. Circumcision was a sign of God's promise to put the world right. It was a sign of God's promise to put the world right through the descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ. It was a sign that people share in God's promise to Abraham by faith. And last of all, it's important to realise that the sign of circumcision was just that, a sign. You see, what's really interesting about Genesis 17 is who is circumcised and who isn't. First of all, notice Ishmael is circumcised even though God says the covenant is not going to be with him. Second, notice that Sarah, Abraham's wife, she's caught up in God's covenant with Abraham, she but she's obviously not circumcised. No Jewish woman ever is. So half the population never received the sign. That's because the sign was about a male descendant. A male descendant of Abraham through whom God would put the world right. Third, notice that every male in Abraham's household is circumcised, irrespective of whether his chil- they're his children or not. It's not about uh, a parent and his children. It could be these people could be servants or, or the children of servants or people bought with money. It doesn't matter. Any, anybody who's in this community gathered around Abraham is, is circumcised. Any male. What's the long and short of that? The long and short of it is some people who were right with God weren't circumcised, while other people who who weren't right with God were circumcised. Some people who were right with God weren't circumcised. Others who weren't right with God were. And in fact, the Bible is full of people who were circumcised who were very, very far away from God. 
But the Bible is also full of people who aligned themselves with the God of Abraham and God's promises to Abraham, but who were never circumcised at all. Think of, well, Abraham's wife, Sarah, Rahab, Ruth, Naaman the Syrian, Cornelius, the Gentile believer in Acts, or Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. In other words, circumcision was never trying to say, Bob is in because he's circumcised and Sandra is out because she's not. It wasn't about demarcating who was right with God and who wasn't. It wasn't about saying who was a recipient of the covenant and who was not. It wasn't about saying who had faith and who didn't. It wasn't intended to say anything about the individual, in fact. It wasn't intended to say anything about this child's faith or that child's righteousness or that child's participation in the promises of God. It just wasn't about that. That was the great mistake that the Jews made in the time of Jesus. They thought that circumcision marked out who was in and who was out, who was saved and who wasn't. The Jews were were circumcised so they were in. The Gentiles weren't so they were out. But they were wrong. Circumcision was never about who was in and who was out, who was saved and who wasn't. It had one very simple purpose, to preach the gospel. To remind people that God had promised to put the world right. That through a descendant of Abraham, just as Abraham received that promise by faith, we also receive that promise by faith. And every time someone was born into that community, the gospel was preached as that child was circumcised. And every time someone aligned themselves with that community, the gospel was proclaimed. And insofar as people received the message and received the good news of what God was doing through Abraham, they would share together with Abraham in what God had promised You see, what mattered was not the outward sign. It was just a sign. What mattered was not the outward sign, but the inner appropriation of the truth. The inner appropriation of the truth that circumcision symbolised. Or what the Bible calls circumcision to the heart. That is, faith in the gospel. In Leviticus 26 God tells the people that the time will come in the future when they'll be driven into exile because of their sins and they'll suffer greatly because they've turned their back on God. But in that judgment there is one hope. And in that distance from God there is one possibility. The hope is this. If their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they return to God, he will remember his promise to Abraham and he will bring them back and restore them and do what he has promised. Well, the message that circumcision preached in the Old Testament is a message which still needs to be preached today, I think. No matter how far away we are, no matter how uh, heavily under the judgment of God we find ourselves, 
no matter how long or how hard it seems to be to get back to God, there is a hope. And the hope does not reside with us and the hope doesn't reside in going through these rituals that we might come up with. The hope resides in believing what God promised Abraham, that through Jesus he's putting the world right and by faith we share in that promise as well. The message of circumcision was a great message. It was a message of hope and forgiveness, of a relationship with God restored, of a world made new, not on the basis of what we have done, but through the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your great mercy in establishing this sign already in Abraham's day to strengthen the sagging faith of your people and to remind them of what you had promised. That the troubles with this world aren't something that we need to undo. The troubles with ourselves are not something that we need to undo. But they are something that you have promised to undo. And all we need to do is trust you. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to trust as Abraham, our father, trusted. Help us to trust in Jesus and to receive your promises in him. For we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.